1208. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. So, Eric Bilstein, you know, you cover the news. Every once in a while, I, I have these stories that come from the world of politics that I just kind of look at and I say, what the hell? <laughs> I, and I, I mean, I don't know how else. It's, it's just, what the hell? I, and, yeah. You know, when people are offended, I'm sorry, that's what I say. And, and, and sometimes it comes from the left. Sometimes it comes from the right. Okay. There's reason people can disagree. But every once in a while, there's a story that you say, what the? All right, th- this is the story today. Okay, Paul Nalen. Do you know who Paul Nalen is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, Paul Nalen is the guy who uh, challenged Paul Ryan in the Republican primary yes. for Congress two years ago. Matter of fact, Ann Coulter came out and did a rally for him that, that they, had, they got about a dozen people at, you know, the, the week before the election or so. Um, Nalen lost 84% to 16%. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, that that leaves a mark. Now, and, and again, uh, Ryan got, and this is the Republican primary, Ryan got 57-plus thousand votes. Nalen got 10,000 votes. And what a lot of us were wondering is, who were these 10,000 people? But regardless, <laughs> you know, he, he, he got whooped, all right? Well, not... Not taking no for an answer. Now, I understand people, you know, run and lose from time to time, but we're not talking about 55-45. We're not even talking about 60-40. We're talking about 84-16. So Nalen is back running again. And he's been so far out there that even, you know, some people who might have talked nicely about his candidacy two years ago are, are now running for the hills. So did you see this story today? Yeah, the Jewish comments uh, coming Nalen back around. Yeah. Posts, well, not coming. This is what he does. Yeah. He, he, I, I just, this is one of these things. I, it's even difficult to explain this because people are going to be listening to me going, huh? Okay, Paul Nalen, guy who's running for Congress, has posted the phone numbers uh, and email addresses um, on you know his Facebook or Twitter account or whatever, a Twitter, posted a list of, of critics. There's like 80-some on there. Phone numbers, e- email addresses, and he claims that seventy-four are Jews. <laughs> I mean, it's I, I I've compiled a list of verified Twitter users who have attacked me in just the last month alone for my hashtag America First positions. Of those eighty-one people, seventy-four are Jews, while only seven are non-Jews. Here's the list, and and. And, and of course, predictably, there's a number of people who are on that list who say, you know, we're not Jewish. Whatever, but it, but it does. I don't even know what to say about a story like this. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, it, it just I was going to open up the phone lines. But what do you say about a story like this other than who were the 10,800 people that voted for this guy in 2016? I, I mean, seriously, I mean, in you would think that in America in 2018 that you, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have this kind of stuff going on. And I don't, I don't know what else to say beyond that. But uh, Paul Nalen, the guy who wants to beat, um, wants to beat Paul Ryan, he's he's posting the names and addresses of people who've criticized him, and uh, he claims a large majority of them are Jews. Well, my my guess is, Paul, that there's all sorts of people who don't support you in your challenge against Paul Ryan, and at the risk of going out on a limb, I'm one of them, and I ain't Jewish. <laughs> you know, but I, I put my name on that list, and you know, the email is jeff.wagner at wtmj.com. I will be proud to be on this particular list. Where do you, you can't make this stuff up, can you, Eric? No, <laughs> no <laughs> I mean, you really can't. I mean, it's, and it, it's pretty vile. You read some of the tweets; it's vile stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, it's just, but it's it's just like okay, well, all right. This this is, I guess, this is a list that I want to be on, but I'm I, 
put me on Paul, feel free to put me on that list if you want. And uh, again, it's it's Jeff Wagner at WTMJ.com. Well, all right. Who were the 10,000 people who voted for him last time? All right. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. All right. Last night, I did give up, what, over an hour of my life, and I watched President Trump's State of the Union speech. Um, I, I did not know what to expect because the truth is whenever Donald Trump gives a speech you never know what to expect when he stays on script I think he can be pretty darn good um, when he goes off script is where he ends up getting in trouble but I I will tell you I think the state of the Union address was a strong speech I think he hit on all of his core themes I think it was I think a call for action, and I think it, it was really good. Now, here's one of the interesting things. The American public who watched it thought it was really good as well. CNN does one of these, like, blitz, they, you know, they, they do one of the blitz polls about the people who are watching it. 70% thought he did a good job. CBS, 75% of the people who watched it thought he did a good job. That stunned the people at CBS and CNN. I was watching ABC afterwards, and as I said a minute ago, their reaction, you would have thought somebody shot their dogs. I mean, it was, it was, uh, you, it was almost like the reaction was written before the speech. Um, ABC, well, it was divisive. It was gloomy. It was sad. It was stoking racial tensions. I mean, one after another. I mean, it started off with Stephanopoulos, who should not be anchoring ABC News broadcasts. Um, he started off by telling the chief White House correspondent that Trump did not unify the chamber. Um, the White House person said he'd never seen anything like it. You know, Democrats basically running for the exits. Well, okay, they were running for the exits because they don't like Trump and they didn't know what to say. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, again, you're not going to agree with everything that the president says. I thought it was a well-delivered speech. I think it had a very, contrary to being divisive and gloomy and sad, like these commentators on ABC, I thought thought there was a conciliatory tone to this. And I understand that some people, you know, didn't like his fact that he said, hey, this is what immigration is going to be, or this is where I'm going to be with America first and all that type of stuff. But at the same time, um, I think that's what you would expect from this president. So let's open up the phone lines. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One speech doesn't turn around a presidency, but I thought last night's speech was pretty darn good. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I thought he looked presidential. I thought he sounded presidential. I'm sure that some people didn't like some of the things that he had to say. But you know what? That doesn't mean it wasn't a good speech. I would give it, I would give it an A minus. What grade would you give the president? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss next. It's 1216. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, here's a text. Horrible. It was written by someone else. Well, okay, most most State of the Union. That's why presidents have speechwriters, these people called speechwriters, who 
talk to the president, write the speeches, and then they modify them. Horrible. It was written by someone else. He wants to unite people. The name-calling, divisive bully is calling for unity. Really? All right. Um, okay, this is something... Uh, this is something that obviously you have somebody who doesn't like it. Debbie, um, I give it an A minus, but the Democrats, um, an F for acting like babies. Another text. Watching Pelosi and Sanders sit there stoically while Trump touched on points like the falling unemployment rate and Apple's massive contribution to domestic workers made my skin crawl. Am I the only one that caught this? No, you're not. 414-799-1620. Tom in Muskego. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. I thought I thought the president overperformed expectations yesterday. I believe that was probably one of his best speeches given. I mean, with his other actions, which we all kind of shake our heads with. But last night, I think he was right on. But what I felt was looking at the Democrats' faces, especially Pelosi and Schumer, you could see no matter what he said, he could have given them everything they wanted. And no matter what he said, they were going to be against it. They just are totally will not accept anything with this president. Well, you know, you're right, because that's the whole key behind this whole, quote unquote, resistance movement. It's that we have to we have to resist. We have to do everything we can to stop Donald Trump from getting anything across, because that's what the expectation is. So, I mean, you want to talk about an inability to work across the aisle. That's where I think it's really going to come from, because you have all this pressure. I mean, look what happened to Chuck Schumer, Tom, when, um, you know, you had moderate moderate Democrats who decided we don't want to shut down the government. Well, you, you had Chuck Schumer, you had people protesting outside his house because he didn't go along with the resistance agenda. That's the real problem, I think, that's contributing to some divisiveness in this country. You know, I I agree with everything you're saying. It's just, you know, you look at, and, and believe me, I am not a Democrat. I am not a Republican. I consider myself an independent. I vote for who I feel is the best. But I look at the Democrats' reactions. It's almost like if I don't get what I want and everything I want in the way I want it, you ain't going to get nothing because we're going to fight you every step of the way. Well, I think there is something like that. No, thank, I mean, I think that but that's that's where we are now. And if you want to turn around, and say Republicans were like that with Barack Obama. Oh, OK, I, I don't think it's as bad. I don't think we've ever been as polarized. And I understand that there's people who want to say, well, partly it's Trump's fault. And I do agree that some of the stuff like the tweeting and stuff, what I call the punching down, hasn't helped. But let's face it, from the minute he was elected, you know, you. You had, I think, a concerted effort to try to undermine his presidency. He has done things which have made it easy for him to do that. But I thought last night was a presidential sort of speech. Yeah, a couple people are commenting on the line, Americans are dreamers, too. I think that's the line that comes on. um, I think that's the line that comes that people are going to remember from this 414-799-1620 let's talk to frank in bayview frank good afternoon jeff good afternoon what do you uh, think brief uh i voted for trump i'm 39 years old and what what most disappointed me in the whole speech was that he didn't give uh, any credit to the previous administration you know nothing happens overnight the man's had the chair for just a few months now you know as these accolades and these accomplishments and the rewards reaping you know, it's it's of the previous work, and I, I wish she would have at least given a nod, and maybe Pelosi might have you know, cheered up a bit. 
<laughs> right. If if he had shot her, and, and to your point, Frank. I mean, I think you know, nothing happens overnight, and I, I think the truth is whether you're talking about a mayor or a governor or a president that things aren't always black and white. It's not like oh gee, all of a sudden Scott Walker gets elected and the dark clouds from the Jim Doyle administration, you know, pass away. It's not like Donald Trump gets elected and all of a sudden, you know, you you have, again, birds start chirping and it looks like it's a Disney movie. I mean, you have, it takes a while for the economy to rebound and things like that. At the same time, now at the same time, especially if we're talking about the economy, there is no question in my mind that the impressive bull run that we have had, particularly the explosion in the stock market off over the last year, is yes, it is due an extent to an extent in, you know, continually good economic conditions, but it's the market, it is investors responding to President Trump's cutback on regulations, um, to sort of freeing the market, um, a bullish atmosphere on growth in the economy that you didn't necessarily have. So while I agree with you that, you know, everything that anybody takes credit for is something that in general has been in the works for a while, especially with a new president, I, I do think it is fair to say that some of these things, particularly with regard to the economy, are a response to Trump policies. Let's talk to Dave in Fort Atkinson. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, you're very welcome. I, I thought it's. I thought it was right on because yeah, I'm an interstate truck driver and I mainly run the Midwest, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. I don't see too much going on in Illinois, but I do in Wisconsin and Ohio and Indiana and. Uh, where I used to see a lot of uh, Latinos working in places, I see a lot of blacks now, and I see an awful lot of black men and women driving trucks. He was right on with black employment. I, I'm everywhere I go, and everything's coming up basis for me. Is that I mean, as a truck driver, there's freight moving, and the economy is going. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, and, and the numbers don't lie. Now, you know, the, the black unemployment rate is what pushing an all time, you know, low. Now, you can argue again. Well, is that because of Trump's policies or is that just a continuation of what was going on? And I guess reasonable people can disagree. But the bottom line is that's what the reality of it is. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing. And for example, I was in Chicago the other day out in Bolingbrook. And where I used to see a few years ago bus loads of Latinos coming in and working in places, they're now busing uh, inner city black out there, and they're filling these spots now. Mm-hmm. They are. That's, yeah. that's, that's reality. Well, right. And again, I, and we, I, don't, I don't know... You know, I mean, if the implications is people who might have been here in the country illegal that they were using or whatever. But, but the truth is, the, the one thing you cannot argue is that the economy has been roaring over the last 12 months. It, it just, you, you, you can't argue, you can argue about why that is. You can argue about whether we're in a bubble and it's unrealistic and the bubble's going to burst. No, that's all fair. But the truth of the matter is, if you have had money invested in the stock market through your 401ks or whatever, you have done extremely well over the course of the last year. My big worry is for a lot of younger people who might not have been in the market during the ups and downs, they're just going to get used to this kind of growth thing and when it levels out as it will eventually level out people are going to freak out bottom line is um you know i i think i think it was a strong speech i think that if he continues to move on this course and that is behave more presidentially appear more presidentially stay off twitter you know just get past that stuff that i think is a distraction will it 
Will it automatically mean that, you know, 75% of the country is going to love him? No. I think that ship has sailed. But at the same time, when you look at these, like I say, the early polls, 75% on CBS say they loved it. It was hysterical to watch these guys because the commentators were stunned. They couldn't believe the results they were getting. Um, And I understand the talking heads want to rip it down, but that's what they're there for. They hate Trump. In this particular case, at least to the people who watched the speech, Trump went over the heads of the chattering class and I think did very, very well. Now the question is, all right, you did that when you did that Tuesday night. What do you do for an encore on Wednesday? All right, when we come back, Mayor Barrett had a very interesting interview with John McCure yesterday. I want to share it with you because I still have some questions about what went on in the situation between the Bucks player and the cops last Friday night. Stick around, it's twelve twenty seven. Twelve thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Did a Bucks player receive special treatment after being tased and arrested by the Milwaukee police? John McCure and Melissa Barkley have the latest, starting at three o'clock on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Uh, interesting, um, interesting development in the world of entertainment. Alpine Valley Music Theater in East Troy was closed down last year. Um, they've announced it was going to be reopened this year, but the question was, what acts were they going to get? Dave Matthews, who was a mainstay there, Dave Matthews is playing Summerfest, so they're not around. And as I've said repeatedly, there's not that many acts which can fill Alpine Valley. So um, they announced Zach Brown is going to be playing at Alpine Valley for two shows. And then they've got a, I think, a two-night reunion of the Grateful Dead minus Jerry Garcia. They're going to be playing. One of the big questions and and one of the the mainstays at Alpine Valley over the years was Jimmy Buffett. I'm, of course, a Jimmy Buffett fan. Um, I don't know if Buffett's coming there. And the reason I say that is they just, just announced that Buffett is playing Wrigley Field on July 13th. And historically, this will be the third time he's played Wrigley Field. In the summers he's played Wrigley Field, he has not played Alpine Valley. And, and I think part of it is to do with the, what I was told is the contracts you sign playing Wrigley Field, you agree that you're not going to play venues within X amount of miles for X amount of days. So I, I, I don't know, but when you see that he's playing Wrigley Field in July, it makes you wonder whether Buffett would be off the schedule. And if you don't have Buffett for Alpine Valley, um, you got a couple days with Zach Brown, you got a couple days with the Grateful Dead, but you start to wonder, okay, is that – you know, it, it, what is the future of that facility? Now, I haven't said he's not coming there. I'm just saying that in the years when he hasn't come there, it's because he's played Wrigley and they just announced a Wrigley date. Interesting to see what happens with Alpine Valley. Hey, before we move off the, the subject of the present State of the Union address and that we were talking about the economy, and I understand some people think that President Trump takes too much claim for credit in the economy, but there, there is a local story that I think really demonstrates at least partially why the tax reform package, if you want to look at the last year and you say, okay, what did the Republicans accomplish? Well, if nothing else, look at what happened with that tax reform package, which lowered corporate tax rates. Oh, there you go, giving all these benefits to the fat cats. Well, all right, part of the reason that we have seen the migration of companies overseas, think Johnson's Johnson Controls, hey, does anybody 
other than some of the people who made a bunch of money, uh, maybe some people on the board of directors or whatever, does anybody think that the United States and this community and the employees are better off because Johnson Controls essentially moved overseas? I don't think anybody who knows anything about that situation would say no. But you understand why Johnson Controls did it, maybe not the way they did it, but you understand why they did it, because the corporate tax rate in Ireland was much, much better. Well, all right, part of this tax reform plan was designed to try to discourage that. And uh, local uh, BMO Harris Bank, which used to be you know, M&I, and now it's, it's run out of Toronto, BMO Harris Bank announced that they are raising their minimum wage to $15 an hour. Oh, that's great. We're, this is, isn't this what people want? We want minimum wage, $15 an hour. BMO Harris Bank has announced that they are raising their hourly minimum wage to $15 an hour, and they also announced that they want to increase their community giving. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing it? BMO Harris Bank, by the way, even though it's no longer local, it still has more branches than any other bank in Wisconsin. Um, you know, they said it's it's really simple. We're going to increase our philanthropic giving, and what we're going to do is we're going to raise our minimum wage. And they said this is the benefit. We are seeing the benefits of the tax reform changes and the strong economy. And so what we're going to do is we are going to pass it on to our employees, which is precisely, at least some of it on to our employees and some of it back to the community, which is precisely what a number of us were saying all along and the need for tax reform. I understand that there's a lot of naysayers going, oh, no, 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 that's terrible and that's awful. And, you know, it's just going to be these corporations getting richer. And a number of us were arguing, no, what's going to happen is, you know, if you reduce the tax rates, for example, that's going to benefit employees in increased ways. And this is a classic example of how that's happening. And it's also happening at the lowest levels. It's not just the fat cats getting raises. Lots of people at lots of companies have gotten raises. But here, BMO Harris is raising the minimum wage to help those people. Um, It is the ultimate example of the trickle-down theory, which appears to be working. And yes, that is something that I think you have to give credit to President Trump for. And you have to give credit to the Republicans who voted for this. All right. Let us switch gears. Big story number two. I think everybody is familiar with what happened by now. Two o'clock Friday morning, uh, the police um, show up outside a 24-hour Walgreens store in like 27th and National. This store and other stores in the area have been held up repeatedly. And as a matter of fact, the alderman for the area, Bob Donovan, had asked the police department, hey, pay special attention to this. So it's two o'clock in the morning. They show up. They find a car double parked across two handicapped parking spaces, two o'clock in the morning. And I think what the officers were afraid of is that, all right, this is the getaway car in what's going to be an ongoing robbery. And, you know, middle of the night, you know, handicapped parking spaces, two spots, you know, what's going on? Well, it turns out the car is being driven by one of the new players in the Milwaukee Bucks, Sterling Brown. Uh, the police go to give the car a ticket. We don't know exactly what happens, but at some point in time, um, Brown, the Bucks player, either out of the clear blue, a police officer decides to tase him, or he becomes belligerent and has to be tased. He is tased. He is taken into custody. He is booked in the jail. The initial reports are he's going to be charged with various things. And then mysteriously, mysteriously, the police department decides, no, nothing to see here, no charges, no harm, no foul. Boom, you know, we're going to release him. 
And then it appears, all right, that it, there was at least some involvement by the mayor. Now, hear me out on this. Yesterday, Alderman Bob Donovan issues a powerful press release going through the facts of this and saying that he's been told by sources that the mayor had asked to see the um, body camera footage, which has not as of yet been made public, and then had been involved in the decision uh, telling them the charges not be issued. The mayor has denied that. Now, there's a couple interesting things. And yesterday, there's about a four-minute interview on Wisconsin's Afternoon News between the mayor and John McCure. I want to replay that interview because I've got a couple questions for what Tom Barrett is saying. Stick around. We'll do that in just a minute. It's 10, 10. It's 12.43. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 12.45, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, okay, the, the whole thing with the Bucks player is, is to me, it's bizarre. Um, at least the I, I don't ever remember a situation where somebody gets tased, taken into custody, and then all of a sudden the charges get quickly dropped. That's why I said yesterday. I mean, I think it is incumbent on the police department, like as, as soon as possible, and it should have been yesterday, to release the body camera reports. I mean, apparently this is something you can see. And because one of two things happened. Either this is a situation where you had a police officer who improperly used force, or you have a situation where, huh, somebody resisted arrest, should have been charged, and someone intervened to stop those charges. And without seeing the body camera footage and seeing the reports, you don't know. But they, they should get they should get past this one. Then, of course, it becomes even weirder where you have Alderman Bob Donovan suggesting that there was political influence in what I think was a peculiar way to handle the case. Anyhow, here's Mayor Tom Barrett talking to, to John McCure, and I've got a couple comments after this interview, but this was on Wisconsin's Afternoon News yesterday. The incident was at 2 o'clock Friday morning. When did you find out about it? I'm guessing I found out about it sometime mid-morning. So mid-morning Friday morning. So it was late Thursday night, early Friday morning. I found out when I was in the office about, I'm guessing, around 10 a.m. on Friday. So you spoke to Bucks President Peter Fagan about this issue before a charging decision was made. Who initiated that conversation? Um, I think that I called him and he returned my call, and then we happened to be in the same meeting um, in the early afternoon, we discussed it there as well, or after the meeting. So why did you decide to call him? Is that standard protocol? Well, I knew that this was a case um, where I was going to get media inquiries. Um, and what my practice is, I have this rule of thumb that I never want to learn about something that affects the city of Milwaukee or city of Milwaukee government in the newspaper or on the radio, for that matter. So if there's something that I'm quite confident is going to get media attention, and I certainly was confident that this was, I want to know what's going on. Um, so I wanted to hear from the from the Buck standpoint, and I wanted to hear from the Milwaukee Police standpoint exactly what was going on, and which is exactly what I did and what I would do, um, knowing that if John McCure called, he would ask me about this, and it's not a good place to be as mayor to say, I don't have a clue as to what you're talking about. Mayor, did Peter Fagan ask you to intervene on the team's behalf? Absolutely not. No, nada, zilch, no. He didn't ask for any special treatment none. for Sterling Absolutely Brown? Absolutely none. Some have said that Sterling Brown received special treatment. Is, is that a fair allegation? No, it's a totally unfair allegation. In fact, I'll slap a technical file on Bob Donovan for making the charge. It, it makes no sense. It's 100% false. You've been briefed on the situation. You've said that you've talked to the, the police department about what happened. Why was Sterling Brown tased? I think that's something you're going to have to talk to the police about. 
Can you recall a time where someone was tased and they were not charged or a police officer didn't face some sort of repercussion? That seems really unusual. And, and I don't know the answer to that. And I, Again, I think that's something that's an appropriate question for the police. Do you know, Mayor, if he was ticketed for parking in that handicapped spot? I don't know. I simply don't know. This is just such a bizarre story. I, I mean, you understand the interest in the story, of right? I do. Again, and so I want you to judge. I knew there was going to be interest in the story, so I absolutely wanted to know what was going on. And, and I don't apologize this, but this this claim that somehow I interfered with it, a hundred percent false. I have not seen the video. I did not ask any questions about whether or not he was going to be charged or anything. Absolutely false. Did you ask to review the body cam video? I did not. I said, what is the process? And they said, yes, you can see it. And we talked about it, and I decided I didn't want to see it. So I know you've been briefed on this. You have more information than the rest of us. He was initially arrested, according to police, on tentative resisting charges. Then a process happened, and those charges were not referred. And the information you were given, were you told why there was no decision to charge him? No, I was not. So you're just not privy to that no. that information? But, again, I want to make this clear. To have someone come forth and say, first, that I watched the video, which could not, it's false. It's just plain old false. To suggest that I tried to influence a decision, 100% false. I didn't do it in this case. I've never done it once in my almost 14 years as mayor. And, and that charge is a scurrilous charge. Mayor Barrett, why do you think that Alderman Donovan is making these allegations against you? Uh, do you think maybe politics might be involved? Okay, I, I have a couple questions, and, and I guess I, I, I sometimes people are imprecise. Sometimes they're they're very correct. First of all, in Donovan's press release, and maybe this is just angels dancing on the heads of pins. He, he didn't accuse the mayor of, of actually having. He didn't say the mayor watched the the body camera. He said um, the mayor asked to see it. Now the mayor says, no, I, I didn't ask to see it. The police told me I could see it though. The police said, you can see the, that's what you said to Bacure, you can see the video, we discussed it, and then I decided not to watch it. Now, so again, that's, that, Donovan said he asked to see it. The mayor says, I didn't ask to see it, but I did, um, uh, you know, but, but they told me I could see it. Um, huh, that's odd. But I, I will tell you the thing that I'm having the, the bigger problem with, I, and I, I don't know what went on here, but I understand when Tom Barrett says you have a high-profile member of the community who gets arrested. Now, Sterling Brown, you probably didn't know, but a Bucks player. Okay, I, I understand somebody gets arrested, and the mayor says, okay, I want to know. I'm going to be asked questions about this, so I want to know what's going on. I get that. I understand, then, why the mayor would contact the police. Uh, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. I, I hear this Bucks player got busted last night at 2 o'clock in the morning and was taken into custody and then quickly released. What, I'm, I know I'm going to get all sorts of questions by the, about this. What What is going on? What can you tell me? I understand all that, and I agree with Wim when he says, you know, any mayor would do that. I don't want to walk out and, and say what's going on. I get all that. Let me tell you what I don't get about this story. I don't get why he called the Bucks. Um, that that's the part that I admit I'm having trouble with, because I, I understand you want to be, you know, if the media comes to you, you want to know about this. You want to know what your police officers say. All right. I, I get all that. Why do you pick up the phone, though, and call the Bucks? 
why why do you call Peter Fagan? He says, yeah, I, I called Peter Fagan, and he called me back, and then we talked about it after the, this meeting. I mean, that's what strikes me as odd, and that's what I think is giving at least some people some pause about this. Now, he says, I wasn't involved in the charges. I didn't do anything, but that strikes me as being unusual. What what is the buck? What do the bucks have to offer and add to this? You have a situation where an individual has been arrested, tased, and then presumably there's going to be a charging thing. I get why you want to know what the cops say happened, but why would you call the employer of the person who was charged to discuss that incident with them? It's a law. It seems to me it's a law enforcement matter. And, and why you as the mayor decide to interject yourself into this while that charging decision is going on. And it might be partic- completely benign. All right. But that's where the red flags go up to me. And he says, I didn't have anything to do with it. And uh, OK, fine. But but that's it. Why call him? And I'm trying to think about, you know, a similar sort of, of situation. You know, if you had, I don't know, um, the director of uh, some large company. CEO of a large company gets arrested for drunk driving or in a bar fight or whatever. I understand the mayor going to the police and saying, hey, tell me what you got about this so I can have information. I think it would be highly unusual for the mayor, though, to call the employer of that person and then to discuss the case. That's what I think is odd. And I I just I, I, I don't know what else to say beyond Beyond that, I mean, I think to an extent Donovan and, and the mayor are talking over each other with the, the whole issue of viewing the body camera thing. Bob Donovan does accuse him of playing a role in or directing the dismissal. I don't know about that. He says no. But I do think it is unusual to reach out and call the bucks while you have, again, a, an employee of an organization that's been arrested. You don't call that. Why is the mayor getting involved in that to begin with? And. That's where I think, you know, a lot of these red flags are 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 there. Bottom line is what I really want to see is whether it was the mayor or somebody else. I want to know who made the decision not to charge the guy. And I want to know. I think the public under these circumstances has the right to see the evidence of that confrontation because one of two things happened. Either the police overreacted when they tased him and it was an improper use of force, or you had somebody who resisted arrest, obstructed justice to the point that they needed to be tased, in which case I don't know that I've ever heard of a situation where you wouldn't issue charges. And that's, I guess, who made this decision. Was it Ed Flynn? Was it the command staff? Doesn't appear to have gone to the district attorney's office at all. So those are the questions that I have. And again, I, I don't, I'm not saying it was the mayor that was involved, but the mayor makes himself look bad when he turns out, at least in my opinion, that he's contacting the Bucks to discuss a situation, a pending criminal situation with them about one of their players. 414-799-1620. Let's take a couple calls. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. You know, there's there's a lot that doesn't make sense in this. For one, I'm a retired Milwaukee cop. For one, I've never gone to a supervisor or a supervisor has never come to me on a charging decision. It's my decision on the street to make that call if I'm going to the district attorney's office or not. So I've had the district attorney turn down charges. Sure. Never had a supervisor tell me yay or nay, I swear to go to that. That being said, though, here's my here's my real quandary with with Mayor Barrett is that 
He said he called the command staff to find out what was going on, and then he called Fagan to find out what was going on. Yet when Mercure asked him questions about what was going on, he had no answers. Well, that's, that's exactly the other thing. What he said he didn't want to have. He said, well, I'm the mayor. I have to find out what's going on because I know I'm going to get asked by the media. Well, Makira asked him the yeah. most simple, benign questions, and he said, oh, I don't have an answer to that. You're going to have to ask the police. Well, what did you ask the police, Mr. Mayor? Then tell me what you found out from the police, Mr. Mayor. Tell me what you found out from Fagan then, Mr. Mayor, because all you're telling me is I don't have an answer. And if you're going to a meeting with a guy over this or making, exchanging phone calls and calling the command staff, you would have those simple answers. Well, right, so, and they even are, I mean, like... And, lying about that or he's lying about um, not getting involved. Well, and they also, I mean, you know, and, and it was interesting because he said, okay, I, I never saw, I never saw the video. But at the same time, and, you know, when he's talking to McCure, he, he does also say, he said, well, they offered to let me see the video. We talked about it, and then I, I didn't see it. But, I mean, my, my question is, did they talk about, you know, whether the protocol for seeing the video? Did they tell you what was in the video? All these different types of things. But yeah, you're what right. What did he talk to them about? What did right. he talk to them about? He talked to them about what? Right, exactly. Um, no, thank, very very fair. Thank, thanks for calling. I'm just saying there's there's there still is more to this. And I, I don't mean to parse the mayor's statements, but actually Tom Barrett was a lawyer before he was a congressman, before he was the mayor. And I, I thought you were getting some lawyerly responses here. I think that's a good question, too. You said you wanted to know what was going on. All right. What did they tell you about this? And then what did you go ahead and tell Peter Fagan? I still can't get past why you call the Bucks uh, about this. And and did you share the details of what you'd been told by the police with the Bucks? Well, why are you doing that? Uh, I think these are questions that are fair to ask. 1250 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yes, a lot of texts. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that a lot of them, a lot of our, a lot of our listeners are not buying what the mayor had to say. I guess. And here's how, here's how it struck me. It, Tom Barrett strikes me, his exchanges as somebody who doesn't want to lie, but doesn't want to tell the whole truth either. And that's that's it. I, I still don't understand why you call the Milwaukee Bucks um, with regard to one of their players being arrested. That's a law enforcement matter. And by contacting the Bucks president, you certainly leave yourself open to um, concerns that you were meddling, whether you were or not. And then uh, again, as many of you picked up the line, he said, "Well, the, the reason I the reason I called uh, the police is I wanted to know about this, so I was prepared to you know discuss this when I got inquiries. But then it's like, well, I don't know why he was tased. I don't know this. I don't know that." Um, which again, I'm just, I don't know what happened here. I think it would be in everybody's interest, though, to release any reports and the body cam video as soon as possible so you can, we can try to figure out exactly what it was that happened here. Do you have an officer that had an excessive use of force? Or alternatively, um, was this, uh, again, a person of interest who might have been treated differently? And we had the one caller, Bob, who's a former police officer, says he doesn't even get why command staff is involved in this. Normally, you know, when the officer does that, you know, that's, that's where the charges come from. It does seem like somebody intervened in this matter in a way that it would not typically have happened if this had been you or me illegally parked in the handicapped spot outside the Walgreens at 2 o'clock in the morning. Just just saying. All right, big story number three. And this is, it is not good, at least short-term news. It is not good, but it's, it's interesting. Um, I think when you think of Milwaukee, 
there there's certain things that you you think of um you think of beer and even though you know we only have a, it used to be schlitz and pabst and miller now only miller left there they got a great cra- thriving craft beer thing but you I mean you, you think of i think you think of that one of the other companies that is quintessential milwaukee is is harley davidson and uh yesterday harley davidson announced that they are they are closing their Kansas City plant um, as profit drops sharply. Um, you know, Harley Davidson is the world's largest maker of, of heavyweight motorcycles, and what they're finding is, get this, their net income fell eighty two percent in the fourth quarter of twenty seventeen. It fell eighty two percent last. And again, you, com- you try to compare apples to apples. So fourth quarter of 2016 to the fourth quarter of 2017. And, and sometimes there, there's explanations. Uh, you know, in, in TV, for example, um, the Olympics are a big draw. TV stations that have the Olympics, you know, have revenue boosts in the quarter when, they, when they're in because the Olympics are a big deal. So if you would look at, for example, take it any TV station has the Olympics. Um, the Olympics are going to be in February. You look at their revenue in February of 2018, and you compare it to 2017's revenue in February, and the revenue is going to be way up because they've got the Olympics, and you didn't have that in 2017. And then next year, 2019, you look at the rating, the review, the revenue in February, and it's probably not going to be anywhere near as good because you didn't have – you didn't have the revenue. TV and radio stations tend to do better in election years because you've got, again, you've got election year spending, you know, people, and that, that helps boost it. But so you try to compare apples to apples, look at one fourth quarter to another fourth quarter. But even with that, sometimes that there's, there's factors that you have to weigh in. But in any event, I mean, an 82% drop one year to another. Um, and that's, that is a sag- staggering drop. Harley's worldwide motorcycle sales fell um, a- about 7% compared to 2016. The U.S. sales fell about 8.5%. So um, international sales were down, but not down as much as, as U.S. sales. What they're doing is they are then now closing their Kansas City plant. Um, there have been layoffs throughout the company, white-collar people and factory workers. Um, no more layoffs from what I understand, at least at this point, in the Milwaukee facility, the one out in Menominee Falls. And some of the people in Kansas City, that plant, some of that production plant is going to be shifted to York, Pennsylvania. At least it's my understanding because that's not fully utilized. But the Kansas City plant is, is closing down. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Harley is quintessential Milwaukee. Harley is quintessential uh, American. I think the problem this company has, and I understand they're experimenting with electric motorcycles. They hope to have an electric motorcycle out in 18 months. I think the problem is more deep-seated than than just that. Um, I think this is more of a blip. I think, and I don't. I take no pride in saying this, but I think you know Harley is just a company that's making a product that younger people are falling out of favor with. Um, people my age, 
You know, those are the people that were buying the bikes starting when they turned 40. Well, they're starting to age out of it. And one of the things that I think you see happening is a lot of the younger generation, number one, don't want big bikes. But number two, don't want bikes at all. And I don't know what Harley does to pull itself out of this tailspin. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number three. Let's let's talk Harley-Davidson. Is this... Is what they're going through a blip? Is this something that the company is just going to emerge from? Or is this part of a larger trend that we've seen happen before in different industries? Newspapers, for example, come to mind. 414-799-1620. Can Harley be saved? Will Harley be saved? Does Harley need to be saved? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And if you are a Harley rider, I'd love to hear from you. And if you're also particularly some of our younger listeners, I just don't see the the millennials. We talked to this wonderful young woman last night, yesterday afternoon, who was uh, Generation Z. I don't I don't think kids today are growing up saying, "Gee, I, I want to have." I want to have a big Harley. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. 118 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 120 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's talk to Brian in Milwaukee. Brian, you're first. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. Okay, what's going on with Harley? Uh, well, like I was on the screener guy, you know, it's, a lot of us uh, younger people, we would love to have Harleys. We just, you know, we don't have the money for it yet. You know, and there's nowadays there's so much things to spend money on, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, all these different cable devices and ways to watch TV and cell phone bills and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's hard to, you know, and on top of, uh, you know, college debt. Sure. How old are you, Brian? I'm only 28. I told the caller I was almost 30. But, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm only 28. Well, no, no I understand. I, I get it. No, I mean, you come out, you got student. I mean, Harleys are an expensive idea. I mean, you're talking about what dropping yeah. twenty five, thirty grand to get that to Harley. Um, right. you, you got you, you got student debt. You want to buy a house. You know, you want to start a family. Plus, you've got all this other stuff. It, it's a it's a pricey hobby to get involved with. Sure. Yeah, and uh, you know, one day when I have the money for it, like I was telling the guy, you know, I would love to buy a Harley. Me and my girlfriend, you know, we will both have a Harley one day, as you know, if things mm-hmm. go how we hope. And you know, our debt's getting smaller and smaller, so you know, that day is hopefully coming sooner and sooner. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. And and see, and I, I think you know, that's I think that's it. Number one, I also think, uh, candidly, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of millennials, and then like the the Generation Z people. I think, in, in many respects, you're looking at the Harley and the easy ride, the, you know, the feel of the open road stuff, and I think a lot of people are starting to say, okay, that's Dad's dream, that's da- that's Grandpa's dream, dream. Okay, that's great. He wants to, you know, be the weekend warrior and hop on the bike and, and ride all over, and that's cool. But that's not what we're all about. We're all about the electronic technology and things like this. I I think that's part of the problem as well. That and and there's that this isn't a bad or good thing. It's a reality that the tastes change. Now, again, I keep going back to the best. Example example I can give being newspapers. I mean, how, how many people below a certain age, how many people below 35 actually pick up a hard copy of a newspaper? Maybe, maybe if you're sitting waiting for your oil to be changed or something like that, but uh, magazines, the same thing. You know, who under the age of 35 or 40 you know, actually reads the magazines unless you're sitting at the barbershop, you know, waiting for it to be your turn? It's just a matter of changing tastes let's talk to darren in downtown darren you're on wtmj hello 
Hey, uh, good afternoon. I, Hi, Darren. Uh, appreciate appreciate talking about this, especially since it's a local manufacturer. Right. Um, a lot of jobs well, involved, right? And and exactly. quintessential Wisconsin and Milwaukee, absolutely. So I think one of the issues that uh, I'm a trades guy, and uh, I think just the luster of you know Harley being an American-made bike is not quite there anymore. Since mm-hmm. There's a lot of outsourcing of their parts, and I mean it's no secret they get a lot of parts and components from China. And you have these other uh, American-made bikes that are kind of moving in on that market share. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, just weighing them up, I think some people are just like, might as well just get a Japanese bike because it's not, it's fundamentally not that much different, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper. And right. you, you get the same quality. And I, so I, I think the marketing of uh, being American, is the, of being American bike, bike right. is not quite as authentic as it used to be. What do you think about my theory about just – more and more younger people not getting into the motorcycle culture like people maybe in their 40s and 50s and 60s have been for the last 10 or 20 years? Well, I live on the east side. I think there is still a lot of people that ride bikes. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, and it's, a, you know, kind of people that do it. But I just think they're looking, they're not so much into Harleys. There's some people are into these cafe racers, right. you know, Yamaha, older bikes, that kind of thing. And right. just, yeah, they're just not, it's kind of, better deal you know right yeah right 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 the people i mean right the and 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 you're using it more as as perhaps basic transportation hey let's get around town you know it's cheap to ride one of these things they're easy to park as opposed to harley has always sold the lifestyle that the idea that that here you you can be free just get on the open road and you know go and leave everything behind that's been that's been part of the message beyond just the bike it's been, you know, be part of that culture. And I guess I'm just, my point is, I think that there's fewer and fewer people that buy into, that that that, that is something they necessarily aspire to. Is there always, are there always going to be a market? I, you would you would hope so. But, I, I and I don't even know how I would advise them to change. I see they're talking about an electric motorcycle in the next 18 months or something like that. I don't know that their Harley rider wants an electric motorcycle. I, I just don't. Um, Karen in Brookfield, you're on 620 WTM. Jay, hello. Hi. How's Hi, Karen. It going? Very well, thank you. What do you think? What does Harley need to do, if anything? I think they need to reinvent themselves. I think that's the whole issue here. I say they do a lighter model, go the other way, and do like a Vespa. People would love it. The younger kids would love it. They could afford it. It's all green. You know, it's, it would be a very positive uh, change for them. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be a dramatic change for them, <laughs> you know, if all of a sudden going right. Because I mean, I, I will tell well, you when, when I when I drive around town, I see a lot of people, a lot of younger people on like the vest, the scooters, those type of things, or bicycles, or things like that. Not the big honking, you know, Harleys. Um, right. Yeah. So you think that that's the way? Just kind of sort of reinvent yourself and and really go after that younger market. Yeah, they're going to have to. They're going to have to. It's going that way. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling. I mean, there, there's no question. There, there is that element. Now, I mean, then, then of course, you know, it means what is a Harley? Then you're giving up all that, that brand. But I think this is one of these deals where you have to do something. And I think the problem is more fundamental than just marketing. And I guess if I had the answer, well, I, I wouldn't be talking about it on the radio. I'd be making millions of dollars giving him the answer. Here's a text. Jeff, my boyfriend and I, now my husband, congratulations, used to ride on his Harley all the time. We would take it down to Summerfest, around the Kettle Moraine during the fall, and then... 
we had children. We sold the bike right before the 105th Harley celebration. Motorcycles are dangerous and not really useful for people with families. They are an extra expense, a thing that people have to store over the winter, and are a luxury item that most people can't expend the extra money to own anymore. Um, yeah, I, you know, this, uh, this is it. Another text. I need a cheap small bike for, you know, $3,000. I'm 28-year-old male. Tell Harley-Davidson this. Uh, yeah, see, that's that's what the issue, you know, is. And um, let's see. Tom in Milwaukee, one final thought. Um, Harley-Davidson failed to change with an evolving market. I'm 50 years old, and they're still peddling nearly the same product as they were almost 40 years ago. The product is, in my opinion, way overpriced. You're paying for height more than a product. Look at a manufacturer like Triumph. They have several styles of motorcycles from sports bikes to touring models to the classic well-known triumph bonneville style um yeah i mean i think you know that's the issue that's out there and you want to see this company succeed it's a great american success story it's a great milwaukee success story but when you see income drop 82 percent from one fourth quarter to the next that tells you you are in trouble. And, again, you saw that yesterday. You, Harley's been going through layoffs for the last few years. But when you see, uh, again, the plant in Kansas City now closes down, huh, where do you go? 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The president delivers his first State of the Union address. What were the surprises in the annual speech? John and Melissa take a deeper dive. Tune in three twenty this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Now, in fairness, um, it, it's not just Harley having problems. Uh, the story today is Bonton Boston store um, announcing it plans to close. 42 stores across the country, including nine in Wisconsin. Uh, Boston store, Bontine, has been struggling for quite a while. The stores that the company says it's going to close, uh, the Boston store clearance center on South 27th Street, the Yonkers and the Fox River Mall, uh, the Boston store in Beaver Dam, uh, Yonkers in Fond du Lac, Yonkers in Manitowoc, Yonkers in Marinette, Yonkers in Superior, Yonkers in Wausau, and then Elder Bierman Eclipse Center in Beloit. I don't know what that is. Elder Bierman, I guess that must be a company they own as well. Um, again, part of a, an overall process. So, you know, Boston Store, they're struggling. And, of course, the other news, and if you try to, if you want to find somebody to blame, we can blame my producer, Groove, for this, and that is that uh, Kimberly Clark announcing that they're going to be closing Two Wisconsin plants. Now, last week, Kimberly Clark announced that it was going to be closing 10 plants, cutting up to 5,500 jobs. Now, the news today is that they're going to be closing. uh, Of those closings, two are going to be in Wisconsin. Again, they estimate that it's going to cut uh, 600 jobs. They're going to be closing plants in Nina and Fox Crossing. Loss of about 600 jobs is part of their what they euphemistically call the Global Restructuring Program, which is occurring within the next um, three years. Some of these facilities are going to close. So who do we blame for this? Well, I blame you, Gru, because, you know, no, 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 hear me out on this one. No, it, it is partly it is partly your fault. It is your generation's fault because one of the big things that they have seen, one of the things that's been hitting Kimberly Clark hard worldwide is they – they make a lot of money in, like, disposable diapers and wipes and things like that, the paper products. And what they're finding is people are not having as many babies. And not as many babies means 
less demand for, again, the disposable diapers and things like that. And younger people just don't aren't having as large a family. So I think it's all on you. So if people are unhappy about, you know, these, these job closings, well, just reach out to my producer because he and his ilk are partly the ones responsible. Now, I understand you can accuse me of being a hypocrite because you can say, well, Jeff, you never had any children either. So you did not contribute to disposable diapers either. But at least us baby boomers were cranking out kids. So, I mean, I was the... I was perhaps the um, the outlier in that regard, but my generation was supporting Kimberly Clark. The new generation's work, but it's another one of these deals where, just like Harley, um, and just like Bonton Boston Store, I think what you're going to see is more and more people. I mean, these companies are just going to have to adapt because. Again, you would you would think that, okay, well, people are always going to use paper products and they're always going to need these type of things, and that's true to an extent, but they don't necessarily need as much of them, and you have to figure out a way that you can adapt. All right, let us switch gears. I, I call this topic, what could she have been thinking? All right, if you haven't seen the news today, um, one of one of the the appointments that President Trump made um, was to to head the, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC director. It is a big job. And uh, together with the Surgeon General, that the CDC director is, I think, you know, you, you look to the CDC director along with the Surgeon General to try to, you know, promote health, right? The CDC director, um, her name is Brenda Fitzgerald. She um, She's just announced uh, today that um, I think she's going to be um, stepping down um, as a result of you know what's what's happened. Here's here's the deal. Um, she apparently purchased. Well, I'm not sure she's announced that she's stepping down. Now that I reread the story, she here's the deal. Um, CDC director, Center for Disease Control. So what you're interested in again is promoting health. Well, it turns out that after after she became the CDC director, um, she started buying and selling tobacco stocks. Um, and, of course, with the emphasis also on buying. Uh, the tobacco stocks were some of about a dozen new investments that um, she made after she took up, um, take over the agency's top job. Buying shares of tobacco companies, of course, raises, you know, flags because CDC's mission is to persuade smokers to quit and to keep children from becoming addicted. People also say that this trading behavior breaks with ethical norms for public health officials and was at best sloppy. At worst, it was legally problematic if she didn't recuse herself from government account activities that could have affected her investments. In other words, you're the head of the CDC. You're going to be having an input on tobacco policies, and yet you own stocks in tobacco companies. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it ever appropriate for someone like the Surgeon General or the head of the Center for Disease Control to own stocks in tobacco companies and to be actively trading stocks in tobacco companies. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I look at this, and I'll tell you, I, I just, 
I, I wonder, stuff like this makes me wonder what people could possibly have been thinking. If you decide you want to take a high-profile position in the government, that's great. But you've got to understand, it seems to me, that there are certain rules then that are going to apply to you. If, you know, you think you can make money by investing in tobacco companies, I'm not one of these people that are going to beat you up for that. But if you're going to be the head of the CDC or the Surgeon General, yeah, I don't think that you should be investing in companies that you are going to be, essentially, your job would require you to be actively trying to discourage use. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, how big a deal is this? Should should there she have been investing in this? And sh- this wasn't just stock that she brought with her when she took over the job. This is apparently she's actively trading, and I know she has financial advisors and things like that. But how can the head of the CDC think it's okay to be trading in tobacco stocks? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 143, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I flank, frankly, just don't get this. One forty-six. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, just a couple hours ago, um, in light of the story I was telling you about Brenda Fitzgerald, and she was, you know, recent. She took over last July as the head of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. She ended up resigning. As it turns out, she's got a large stock portfolio, and after she took over as the head of the CDC, she was investing in tobacco stocks. Apparently, what happened is she had. She was she was told she had to divest herself of certain investments, and so you know she's divesting herself, and her financial advisors are divesting themselves of some of these stocks, and then they're turning around and they're buying things like a Japan tobacco, and so the issue is, you know, you've got somebody who's supposed to be preaching the evils of non-smoking, who's got a financial interest in a tobacco company. I think she had to go four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and I guess my how dumb. I, that's, I mean, just, just how dumb. It's certainly, at the very least, is what I would describe as an appearance of impropriety. Let's start with Melissa in Burlington. Hi, Melissa. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. What do you think? I think, at the very least, it's a major conflict of interest and could pose the question of whether there's an opening in the back door there. Mm-hmm. The tobacco company has had a lot of money flow through it and has had pretty much free reign for a long time. You know, yeah. where's right? What could happen between them and the CDC if they have an opening? Right, and and even if there's no evidence at all to suggest that there was anything, you know, reasonable people would look at it and say, well, wait a second, you know, you're if you crack down on a tobacco company, um, that and that tobacco company then loses money because you know you're leading efforts to get people not to smoke or whatever, you're going to lose money. It's just. It's just so striking. It, it's just such exactly. An People are going to go after their own interests, right? And if it's a financial interest, it seems to have a stronger drive. So right. it makes me wonder. Right. Now, thanks, God. And again, I don't. I see, and I'm not even willing to go that far and say that. Okay, there was uh, that that she was doing stuff that was wrong. I think this was just dumb. I, I guess I, I just think it, it's dumb. You know, you're you are. As your role at the CDC, together with the Surgeon General, one of your principal duties, not your only one, but one of your principal duties is to, again, promote the health of Americans. And one of the things I think everybody recognizes is the decision to smoke, whether you're a smoker or not. Um, that is not a healthy decision. And you would expect that the CDC is going to be doing everything it can to try to discourage people from 
from smoking, whether it's informational campaigns or whatever. Bill in Milwaukee. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I, I know you're pr- talking about the fina- or the, uh, the healthy side of it, but I, I think anybody should be allowed to invest wherever they want to. I think the problem lies, and what kind of the last caller was getting at, is she has control over public policy yeah. on what that company, what those companies are able to do, and that's going to affect them financially and obviously the stock market value. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, look, I, I, I'm not arguing that people shouldn't be allowed to invest in tobacco companies. If you want to invest in tobacco companies, you know, go ahead and do it. But her role as the head of the CDC, which is where you would think that, you know, it's the government war on tobacco. How can you be fighting the quote unquote war on tobacco when at the same time you own stock in tobacco companies? They're just a the fundamental disconnect. Yep, no, totally agree with that statement. Right, yeah, th- thanks for calling. Again, it's, I, look, I, I don't, I understand that there's some people out there who get into the, the so-called model of, like, socially responsible investing or whatever they call it, and, and they don't invest in companies that make firearms, and they don't invest in companies that make liquor, and they don't invest in tobacco companies, and there's actually mutual funds that exist um, that, that stay out of that. Now, I, look, I, I, I think, I've never bought into that idea. I mean, I think as long as it's a legal product, then, you know, you decide whether it's the right investment or not. But I get it. People can make that decision. I would be the last one to criticize someone if they, again, wanted to buy stock in a liquor company or you wanted to buy stock, you know, in, in the tobacco company. If you thought it was a good investment, fine. As long as it's legal, go ahead and do it. What I do think, though, is when you are a government official whose job is to discourage people from smoking and potentially consider ways that you're going to rein in smoking, that you shouldn't be owning tobacco companies. Just saying. It's 150. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Well... Even the visually impaired squirrel does, in fact, find an acorn sometimes. And that's what's happening. There are certain people, politicians in this area, that if you want to figure out where you should be on an issue, you find out where they are and you go the other way because they're almost never right. But a broken clock is right twice a day. And... um one of those broken clocks is Milwaukee Alderman Robert Bauman, who's he represents sort of the downtown area. And um, well, I can't say it any better. He's almost always wrong about everything. But in this particular case, I think he's right. The Journal Sentinel is reporting this. Um, there is there's this nonprofit group um, called Near West Side Partners. And, and what they want to do is they want to buy up some land in downtown Milwaukee, um, a parcel of land on 27th and Wisconsin, and a parcel on 625 North 27th Street. And what they want to do is they want to they own they own other property in that area, and they want to buy this property from the city, and they hope to attract a, a major office building. Okay, so that that's fine. So they, they want to you know want they want to do this. And the city of course wants to encourage redevelopment. The value of the land is about eighty three thousand dollars. And um this group has been buying other property in the city from private entities and they've been paying the, the value of for the value of the land. For example, they, they bought they bought a, a grocery store 
property on 27th in Wisconsin for $600,000 that has an assessed value of 121000 bucks. This group is financially supported by Marquette, Aurora, Harley, Miller Coors, Pottawatomie Business Development. They, they have a bunch of money. So they want to have, they want to buy this property because they don't want to develop the property. Um, this is all good. The property's worth 83 grand. Mayor Tom Barrett wants to sell them this property, these properties, these two properties that are worth 83 grand. He wants to sell it to them for a dollar. For a dollar. And, and Bob Broken Clock Bauman, who's right again only twice a day, he's saying, well, well, wait a wait a second here. Um, you know, why why would we sell property that you know is is worth eighty three thousand to a group that's got you know is writing big checks for private property uh, around here to build this big thing, and we want it built. We want to have this area developed. That that's great. But why would we why would we sell to this group? Why would we give them an eighty three thousand dollar piece of property for? You know, a, a buck, especially since they don't even have a specific development proposal yet. It's not like one of these deals where they go in and they say, look, we've got tenants lined up. We've got a developer lined up. We are ready to start, you know, putting shovels in the ground, um, but we just can't come up with the 83 grand that we need to finish this. If you want redevelopment, you have to give us a break. They don't they don't have that. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't even have that. So Broken Clock Bauman is saying, wait a second, no, we want this, you know, we sh- why, if you can give hundreds of thousands of dollars to the private developers, why can't you, you know, give us what this property is worth, which is $83,000? Now, I, I just, I, again, as much as it pains me to agree with Alderman Robert Bauman, I, I think he's exactly right in this particular situation. This isn't one of those deals where you're taking a boarded up, dilapidated, abandoned house that has no value, and you sell it to somebody for a dollar with the promise that they're going to come in and fix it up, okay? That's not what this is. This is, I mean, downtown real estate that has a value, a value represented by the way that this group has been willing to spend big money to secure other parcels. And am I saying that you have to charge them a premium? No. But from the perspective of the taxpayers, I think it is more than reasonable to say, you know, we want fair market value for this, and to sell it for a dollar would be absolutely ridiculous. Again, especially since you don't have any plans. As far as we know, this thing could sit, you know, undeveloped in its present state for the next five or ten years. Why would we give it to you? Give it to you for a dollar. Pay the taxpayers what the property is worth. And a common council committee yesterday, by a three-to-one vote, adopted that policy. They said you can have it if you want it, but you got to pay us eighty-three grand, what it's worth, instead of simply giving this to the group. And in this particular case, like I say, a guy who's almost never right happened to happened to hit it this time. He's right. We should not be giving this property away for a buck. It is 158. When we come back, well, we got a lot of great stuff on today's program. Pet food for food stamps. It's one of the things I want to talk to you about. And um, Megan Kelly, they say she's a diva. Who knew? 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I started off the show by talking about, my, my response was, what the hell? And I, I was talking about the story about the, the guy who is challenging 
Paul Ryan in the Republican primary. His name is Nalen. And he ran against Nalen la- against Ryan last year and, and got 15% of the vote in the primary. Ooh. I mean, that, that's got to leave a mark. Well, he, he's out. On, on Twitter, he posts like 81 names of people he says are opponents of his. And he says 74 of them are Jews. And it's and you just think, okay, what? You know, how do people really think like this in 2018? I mean, seriously. So, I mean, that that was the insanity on the right. And I did say that you also get in, examples of insanity on the left. And here, here is an example of that. There's a guy named Jonathan Tassini. Um, he is an author. He is one of the CNN talking heads. You, you will see him on CNN from time to time today. Now, the news this morning was that there was a, a, a group of GOP members of Congress who were on a train heading to a retreat in West Virginia. Matter of fact, our very own Glenn Grothman was on that train. He actually did an interview with us earlier this morning, and a short time after the interview, what happened is the train, I think it was around Charlottesville, the train hit a, a, like, like a garbage truck or something that was on the tracks. Um, nobody on the train seriously injured, but one of the people in the vehicle is dead, right? So that this is, it, it, there's nothing funny about this as all, at all, and it could have been much more serious. So, all right, here's this whack job, Jonathan Tassini. So that's the background. Train crash, somebody dead. See, this is a CNN talking head. He takes to Twitter, all right? And this is what he writes, on Twitter, this is what he posts after after this. He says, wow, between a train full of GOPers, actually goopers, G-O-O-P-E-R-S, between a train full of goopers hitting a truck and South Carolina Congressman Trey Gowdy retiring, God is working hard today to clean up the stink. Thank her. Right. A train, a train is involved in a crash. It's got Republican politicians on it. One person is dead. And this tool goes on Twitter. Boy, wow, between a train full of uh, GOPers, goopers, hitting truck and this, God is working hard today to clean up the stink. Thank her. All right. Now, how soon is it going to be before this character is back on CNN? And like I say, I mean, this is, and I understand for some of the liberal elite out there, there are people who have no problem with this at all. Yeah, right, right, right. right. This just shows how depraved, out of touch, and how deranged some people are. And for people who thought I might have been unfair to single out this Paul Nalen guy at the start of the show, well, it goes both ways. Jonathan Tassini, CNN talking head, talking about, gee, Paul Ryan, well, I mean, Republicans were on this train. They hit a truck. Boy, God is working hard today to clean up the stink. What a lousy excuse for a human being. All right, I want to double back on something we talked about a couple days ago um, because certain people are not taking an apology for, they're, they're not taking I'm sorry as being enough. David Beth is the, is the sheriff in Kenosha. He's been on this program multiple times. He is a Republican. He is a conservative. He is a law and order guy. And like many of us, he is frustrated with the ongoing intensity, amount, and level of crime in our community. All right? A lot of us are. And on a day, what, what did we have? We had the story yesterday, which 
I, I just, I was telling, I was at, I was with some friends last night, and they were saying, well, what's the story that really, you know, what, what's the one story you remember from the show yesterday? And I said, well, 91st and Silver Spring, um, there's a man, there's a, there's a cemetery. There's a 75-year-old guy visiting his dead wife's grave site, middle of the afternoon, and he gets carjacked. That is what the city of Milwaukee has become, you know, carjackings in the middle of the day outside grave sites. You cannot visit your loved ones, you know, in a graveyard without being a victim of a crime. And, you know, I mean, again, you just, you tell these stories and you just, it just, it drives you crazy. So anyhow, this is what happened. January 24th, five suspects. I think the oldest one was 23 and the youngest one was like 18. Five suspects pull up outside the Pleasant Prairie Mall. Two of them stay in the getaway car. Three of them run into the Tommy Hilfiger store and start grabbing as much stuff as they possibly can get. They get, in the space of about two minutes, they're able to grab like $5,000 worth of clothes. They run out. They jump into the car. The car then takes off. All right, what happens is a little while later, a police officer sees them, tries to pull them over. They take off. High-speed chase up the freeway. They get off the freeway. Um, They then start fleeing across county highways. Ultimately, what happens is the driver of the car runs a red light, darn near hits two different cars, including a a car being driven by a 16-year-old who's just gotten his license and his mother. It is only but for the grace of God that these people aren't killed. By these people, I'm talking about the 16-year-old and his mother. Right? What happens then is the people who are responsible for the theft and fleeing, they end up crashing the car, and as always happens, they get off, they try to run away on, on foot. They are, they are caught. All right, so the sheriff is holding a press conference about this, and he is deeply affected by the fact that the, the 16-year-old and his mother were almost killed. I mean, that's, and clearly, you know, he's sitting there thinking, you know, uh, another five seconds one way or the other, and, and we're not going to just be talking about eluding arrest and, and felony theft. You know, we're going to be talking about homicide. And, and he starts talking about crime in general, and I guess these defendants in, in particular, again, 23 to 18. Um, we don't know the juvenile records of these, these people. My guess is they are lengthy. But here's what he says. He, he's just frustrated. He says, at some point in time, um, society has to get so fed up that they are no longer willing to tolerate people who are not an asset to society. I think we have to create a threshold where once you cross that threshold, Wisconsin, the United States builds warehouses where we put these people who have been deemed to no longer be an asset that are really a detriment like these five people. I have no issue with these five people completely disappearing. At this point, these people are no longer an asset to our community, and they need to disappear. He goes on. He calls them a cancer to our society let's put them in jail let's stop them at least some of these males from going out and getting 10 other women pregnant i'm tired of being politically correct i don't think i'm saying anything that most people in society aren't thinking but they're afraid to say it in this country in this community in this state we have to get to the point where we will no longer put up with the garbage people that fill our communities they are a cancer to our society okay that's what he says well predictably 
You have the folks that are offended. Oh, my gosh, how terrible this is. You have um, a group called Forward Kenosha, a political action group um, who calls for the sheriff to issue apologies, says he needs to participate in anti-bias training for himself. Um, the NAACP comes out, you know, has a meeting, you know, with him to talk about this stuff. Ultimately, he ends up issuing an apology saying, you know, I, I just got carried away. I'm sorry about this. Um, there's still, I, I, there's my understanding, a meeting this afternoon at the courthouse. You know, some groups are still demanding that he resign over his comments. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that the sheriff got worked up here. All right, I, I get it. He'd had enough. He was reacting to the fact that a 16-year-old almost ended up dead. He was reacting to the fact that you had, again, another one of these examples of lawlessness and theft and fleeing and not caring at all about anybody else around. You know, and he said, this is it. I'm tired of these cancers to society. I don't know what the criminal records of these people were, and I don't know if they had lengthy juvenile records or if this was just the day that you finally decide that, hey, we're going to go steal five grand worth of stuff and lead the cops on a high-speed chase and almost kill somebody. But, you know, if if the sheriff wants to apologize, that's fine. But these groups calling for him to resign, I think that's nuts. And candidly, while he might have been a tad over the top, um, let's put the men in jail to stop him from getting 10 other women pregnant. At, at the same time, I, I don't know. I mean, is there something to this guy's sediment? Should he be should he have to resign from this or is is he correct? He's tired of being politically correct, and he's not saying anything that most people in society aren't thinking, but they are afraid to say. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Look, if you want to say he got it a little bit too far into hyperbole, that's okay. But this general sentiment that it is time to stop coddling criminals, it is time to start talking about people who engage in dangerous and antisocial behavior and saying that they need to be removed from society. I have no problem at all with the underlying sentiment. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess if people want to behave like human garbage, uh, should they be offended if they are labeled human garbage? We discuss next. 414-799-1620, it's 218. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And again, while, while everything is racialized, uh, Sheriff Beth's comments made no reference to race. Now, the defendants in this case are black, so, oh, you, you can't say this stuff, but black, white, green, brown, blue, if you're going to behave like garbage, is there anything wrong with being identified like that? Sheriff, here's a summer text. Sheriff Beth is spot on. He does not need to apologize. If we continue to treat these criminals with kid gloves, we deserve what we get. Sheriff Beth needs to run for another term not to resign. Um, let's see. Uh, Michelle says the sheriff is right to the complainers. Like you say, Jeff, life is tough. Get a helmet. Um, another text. He is just one of many people who are tired of criminals, no matter what the age, getting away and nothing being done to them while innocent victims pay the price. I 100% agree with him. Yeah, see, I think uh, I think he's on to something. 414-799-1620. Bob in Bristol. Bob, your neck of the woods. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Bob. Um, I've known Dave since he was a rookie. Uh, I've known what the past sheriff's departments used to be like, and Dave has not only benefited uh, the community by his personalization, uh, you know, 
people see him, and, and at the fair he used to be very active with PR for the department. His business sense, he's made the department what it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's cutting, you know, the dead we- uh, weight out of the department, which would save the taxpayer. But he also is very smart when it's getting government grants to help pay for things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today's economy, I just heard on the news that um, somebody that was uh, mourning for their kids at a cemetery, and they got uh, jumped and robbed. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to have, you know, we have in our school systems the D.A.R.E. program, but we also have to teach these kids about responsibilities to the community. Well, well, right. They're going to have a punishment for their actions. Yeah, I mean, no, thanks for calling. Let's start protecting. I mean, okay, what what is he saying that's wrong? Now, I understand that there's some of the touchy-feely folks out there who are uncomfortable, but, you know, people who commit these crimes, people who um, commit repeated crimes, and again, my guess is some of these folks have juvenile records, don't know, but all right, you steal $5,000 in in clothing in one of these grab-type operations. It's a planned-out thing. You drive through a red light. You almost kill a 16-year-old and his mother. Yeah, all right, and you're going to be offended because you're being called like they're ca- calling him a cancer to your society. The society, well, okay, maybe maybe we should be more upset that there are cancers in our society that are there. I love what he says. I'm tired of being politically correct. I don't think I'm saying anything that most people in society aren't thinking, but they're afraid to say. We got to get to a point where we will no longer put up with the garbage people that fill our communities. They are a cancer to our society. Wouldn't you like to hear somebody like Tom Barrett say something like that? Wouldn't you? like to hear him say you know what i am sick to death i think it was a, the, the guy that got robbed at um carjacked at the grave site i i think it was a 17 and a 21 year old that did it could be wrong but they, they caught him i mean wouldn't you like to hear tom barrett come out and, and say i am sick to death of the scum of the earth and you are scum of the earth if you're going to commit that type of crime who are out there you need to go away for a long period of time you are a cancer to our society when did we become so afraid to identify to essentially call a cancer a cancer mike in merton mike you're on wtmj hello good afternoon hi mike the only mistake i say that the sheriff made was apologizing in the first place. Because once you apologize, they have you on the run. And you can see it happening now. He apologized, and now they want him to resign. And if he doesn't resign, they'll be out there picnicking or uh, picketing. Right, right, yeah, and, be, right, you, right, you, you give it, right, you, you give in to this, and, and, um, right, and and it's never going to be enough. And again, I, no. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he he kind of goes off script and he starts talking about you know guys that are having ten kids, you know, with ten different women and not supporting him, anything like that. But but okay. I mean, at the same time, we also understand that that is probably a problem in our society as well. Why do we stop pretending these things aren't occurring? We're not doing anybody any favors by sticking our head in the sand and saying, oh, another 75-year-old man gets carjacked. Oh, another car blows through a red light and almost kills people trying to get away from cops. We're not doing anybody any favors by pretending that these things aren't going on. No, thank, thanks. Well, and, and the mayor's, as far as the mayor's, that's all he can say is Milwaukee is a safe place. Yeah, right. right yeah, yeah, thank, yeah, Milwaukee is a safe place. Well, I don't. Maybe, maybe the places he goes. Look, I, I just, it's this, this, 
and, and these these groups, the, these groups that want to come out and protest. You know, my response would be, hey, why don't you get off your butts? And why don't you try to, rather than protesting somebody like David Beth, talking about this situation and, and essentially identifying, maybe you don't like the language you used, but identifying realistic problems. Why don't you, if you're so concerned about the community, instead of worrying about what the sheriff is saying, why don't you get off your butt? And why don't you start really working to make the community a better place? Like figuring out how you can stop people from doing this in the first place. At some point in time, you know, we, we've got to just recognize that we're not helping anybody. We're not making things better by just turning a blind eye and saying, oh, you know, gee, 399, 400, you know, car thefts in Milwaukee in January. Oh, well, the boy, isn't that bad? Well, yeah, it's bad, especially if you're one of the people that got carjacked or your car got stolen. When do we say enough is enough instead of demanding the people who call out the people who are committing the crimes, demanding that they apologize? Wow. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty-seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you. Hey, you know, by the way, um, you're, you're starting to hear some of the political ads on this this program, and that is because there is a a primary election coming up on February twentieth, which really is not that far from now. What three weeks or so? Um, there's a number of primary races around. The one that should be of attention to everybody is for the state supreme court let's review the bidding very quickly here um michael that right now there's seven members of the state supreme court we have seen dramatically over the last five six seven years why that matters remember all the litigation involving act 10 it all went to very very liberal judges out of dane county pretty much then they, they did everything they could every weird but interpretation of the law to try to shut down Act 10. It all failed because ultimately the cases ended up in the Supreme Court that has at least a majority of the justices have a respect for the rule of law. Right now there are five conservative members of, and by conservative, I mean judicially conservative. I mean people who understand, at least in my opinion, the interrelationship between the rule of law and the role of the courts and as opposed to what I call the activist judges, activist judges being the ones who say, well, I know what the law is, but I really don't care what the law is. I think this is what the result in a case should be. And if I don't like the result that the law is going to give me, well, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to manipulate the law to get to that result. That is a very, very dangerous thing, and you see that happening too often, at least in my opinion, in the court system. Anyways, uh, there is a solid conservative majority, five conservative judges, um, two liberal judges. One of the conservative judges, Michael Gableman, is retiring. These are 10-year terms, and there are three people running for the seat. One is a conservative judge, um, and you're starting to hear some of his ads, Michael Skranek. He He's running, and he's being, there's two other people, one who is liberal and one who is really, really way out there liberal. The The liberal judge is a Milwaukee County judge named Rebecca Dallet, or Dallet, however you pronounce it. Um, she's running, um, she's been running a, a leftist campaign denouncing various decisions of the courts and associating herself with the Democratic Party. I think she figures she has to do this because 
She's running against a, a guy named Burns, who is a lawyer out of Madison, who it, it's a judicial campaign like nobody's ever seen before, because he's not really even making arguments about the law. He's out there talking about how he doesn't like Scott Walker and he doesn't like these policies and he wants to use his role in the Supreme Court to try to shut them down. It's really kind of an unprecedented sort of thing. In a normal situation, you would expect that Rebecca Dallet or Dallet and and Judge Scranick, that those two, uh, Michael Scranick, that those two would emerge. I have some people from out of state saying, uh, no, that this Burns guy, the the big lefty out of Madison, that he's doing better out state than uh, the Milwaukee County judge is. And don't be surprised if it's Scranick and Burns. I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen polling, don't exactly know how that's all going to break down, but it is a very, very interesting race. What's ultimately going to happen is two of those three candidates will emerge. It could be both people from the left. I don't think so. My guess is that Judge Granick will be one of the two that comes through, and then you'll have either the more moderate liberal or the whacked-out liberal that will advance, but I, I don't know. I mean, it could go any way, but that election is coming up, and you're going to start to see some more ads on that, and again, it it's an important seat. Now, if the Republic, if the conservative justices, if conservatives were to lose the seat, there would still be a majority on the court, but it's a much smaller majority. It's a big deal. It's a big, big deal election, and we're going to be spending a lot of time on it. And I actually, I, I hope... I hope we're working on something now. I mean, I hope to have at least the two finalists um, on the air in in a couple different kind of exciting settings because I'm very concerned and interested in the Supreme Court race. Okay, let us totally switch gears because many times when I present topics, I the, the way we'll do it is is I have I have a take on it and I'll set it up and I'll tell you what I think about it and then you can call in, you can agree or you can disagree or whatever. Every once in a while, there's a topic that. I, I think it's kind of thought-provoking, and it, on the one hand, it touches on the heartstrings, and on the other hand, you've got the heart, you've got your head. Here's the deal. There is an online petition. I mean, everybody knows about, like, food stamps now. Um, food stamps, right now, there's about 50 million people um, across the United States currently enrolled in the the food stamp program they call it snap supplemental nutrition assistance program you know in wisconsin you get these ebt cards it's administered by the state but it's federal money that is involved with this um there are certain limits on stuff that you can buy with your food stamps Um, i have argued that there should be more limits but there are certain limits on the stuff. You, you can't buy booze. You can't buy tobacco. But you can go out. You can buy cookies. You can buy cakes. You can buy sugary sodas and things like that. There, there's, there is, I think, a degree of misuse of food stamps. You know, we talked about last week this proposal that I think makes complete sense to go out and require photo IDs on the food stamp cards so that you can at least take a step towards reducing some of the fraud because what happens now is people will go out they'll sell the ebt cards you know you got two hundred dollars in the ebt card well okay you, you sell it for 50 bucks in cash you use that 50 bucks in cash to buy booze your, your family isn't being helped so i mean i think there's ways you can reduce fraud i think we could also be we would be smart to tighten up what you can buy but here's here's the deal now there is an online petition that has generated Thousands and thousands of signatures. It's been going on for a couple months now. And here's what the proposal is. It would ask that the food stamp eligibility 
be expanded to include pet food. The whole petition is called Don't Let Pets Starve. Include pet food in SNAP benefits. Um, here's the, the explanation. Each year, over 40 million low- or no-income people in the United States rely on SNAP to help purchase food for themselves and their families. It is the most wide-reaching program in the domestic hunger safety net, helping millions of families from starving. But what about pets? Unfortunately, SNAP benefits cannot be used to buy pet food, leaving poor families with pets in a difficult position. Now, I'm not making, you know, I'm not making this up. The argument is that, hey, you know, people... Um, they've got pets. Pets are important members of their family. And that, you know, just like you should be able to use food stamp benefits to take care of your kids, and just like we don't put restrictions on your ability to buy sugary sodas or things like that, maybe pet food should be included as well because people who need SNAP benefits, well, they also tend to have pets. 414-799-1620. I am curious. How do you feel about this? Now, you're talking to somebody who is an absolute stone, 100% dog lover. My dog warms warms my heart on a daily basis. All right, what do you think about this reaction? Would it be that big a deal if we, again, given that, given that you can use food stamps to buy soda and cookies and cakes, would it be that big a deal if we also allowed you to go out and buy dog chow with it? 414-799-1620, what do you think? And I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but I am genuinely curious. 246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Over 100,000 people have signed this petition thus far as of yesterday. Let's see. Um, I would rather see SNAP benefits used for innocent pets than junk food. Um, let's see. John texts, my God, Jeff, if they can't afford to feed their family, then let's go get a dog. That way I can feel better about myself. I'm sorry it's not my problem. You know, you need to feed your own pets. Um, let's see. Jake says, hey, I think using it to buy dog food is much better purchase than sodas, candy, and other sugary items. Um, all right. Here's an interesting text. At first, I thought this was really stupid. But now I've stopped and I'm thinking about it a little more. It might not be as terrible. If we're thinking about food stamps as a hand up, not a permanent solution, then if someone suddenly falls on hard times, should they have to give up their animal? Perhaps this would also lessen the burden on shelters. All right, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Judy in Cudahy. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thank you for taking my call. And sure. I I love I love your show. Oh, thank you. I, I live in Kadai in low income apartment. I have uh, I had the open heart surgery and I have a little dog that I rescued and he helped me a lot. He's old, he's fifteen years old and I get only social security, not much. He can't eat dry food anymore because of his teeth. So I have to buy him chicken and soft stuff. By the time I pay all my bills, mm-hmm. I don't have money left. So I I make sure I buy enough chicken for him and bake chicken for him. But I always end up ask my neighbors for extra chicken or extra food for him. Mm-hmm. I I have that that problem, and I'd be happy to if they you know I'd be glad if they put uh, a little for dogs too, because. Yeah, you, you could use it. No, Judy, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening. I mean, that 
Look, I understand on the face face of this, and, and maybe even under examination, it sounds silly. But I mean, Judy is one of these classic examples. Okay, if you're getting the assistance, she's going to feed the dog anyways. All right. So instead of buying the 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 dog food, what you're doing is you're buying people food and you're feeding the dog. So I mean, it's at at the one end that the the dog is. If you're going to make that commitment, the dog is going to be eating anyways. I mean, you're not going to be able to control that. I guess. I, I do, I am, I understand I'm kind of talking around this, but I do kind of feel myself thinking, gee, if the choice was, you know, feeding a beloved family pet or, you know, buying, you know, six cases of Mountain Dew, I, I kind of come down on the side of pet food. But I understand that's not what the food stamps are necessarily intended for. Kind of thoughtful. Let's talk to Katie in Burlington. Hi, Katie. You're on WTMJ. Hi there. I don't think this petition that's circulating is saying we want to... We want to amend food stamps to not include sugary foods. No, it, but it's, include dog food. They just want to include dog food, right. or, or cat food, or right. whatever. Pet food. Yep. Having a pet is not a necessity. It's both a luxury and a responsibility. And I know you're a pet owner. Mm-hmm. I am as well. And one of the major costs is vet care. I mean, do we now start extending Medicaid to veterinary care? I mean, where does it end? It. I think. The problem I have is most people that, that would fall into hard times and temporarily need food stamps will be able to get out of those. It's the people I'm talking about that have a lifestyle and a mentality of, I would like more of my life and more of what I feel I need covered by mm-hmm. a federal entitlement. Like, everyone needs clothes. Everyone needs shoes. You need eye care. You need glasses. Right. All these things, where does it end? I feel for people that are on a limited budget and want to have a pet as well, but it's not a necessity. It is a luxury. I don't want to flood shelters. I don't want to see animals suffer. But most of the time, you find even people not on entitlement. They move. They go from one apartment to another. They they go, I've got to give up my dog. They don't take these animals as a responsibility as a lot of other people do. I'm not willing to extend that to something that's not a necessity. What do you do, though, about the people like our last caller who's going to feed her dog anyway? So instead of buying the pet food, she's going to buy the chicken and the dog's going to be eating chicken or something like that. I mean, there, there's nothing that we do in the system now that stops somebody from doing that. No, there isn't. And, and God love her. I don't know if chicken is a good right. <laughs> for a dog. An older dog who obviously has medical issues, can't chew anything anymore. What how do you look at that situation from your heart and your head and say, I mm-hmm. can't care for this dog the way it needs to be cared for? I don't know if chicken is really a, a good, right. solid meal for a pet. That aside, sometimes you have to make hard decisions. I, I've made them in my own life, and I've been, I'm not on assistance. On assistance, you're even a little more limited. Right. Maybe the best thing would be to focus on yourself to give that dog try to go to a shelter, maybe someone who could help you temporarily or something like right. that. There might be things out there. Yeah, and, and Katie, and I, I just, I mean, I, I actually, see, I think this is, it, and on the surface of this issue, you go, well, of course, that's crazy. Food, how, how, why would you extend that? But then when you do think about all the garbage that people can buy with food stamps, you say, all right, does it make any sense to not allow them to buy the pet food? Where I come down with this ultimately is, is food stamps are for people. <laughs> and, and and this is from the perspective of somebody who, who loves pets. And food stamps, I think, are for people. If, if you want to have the pet, and keep in mind, for, for many people, you know, food stamps aren't the only sole, aren't the sole source of income. I mean, 
it's kind of like we don't let you use food stamps to pay your, your cable TV bill or something, but we don't say you can't have cable TV. To me, it, it's, look, I, I love pets. My attitude would be, um, okay, food stamps are for people. That's what it's designed for. And use other income, again, to pay the vet bills, goodness gracious, or to, to pay the pet food and things like that. I, I'm not willing to go this far. Now, if you wanted to cut a deal with me and say, okay, well, maybe we're going to restrict the type of stuff you can buy with food stamps. We're not going to let you buy as much junk. And in return, we'll give you pet food. I might be willing to consider it. But in general, food stamps are for people and use the other resources for pets. But it's throw this out at the dinner table and then just, you know, kind of break it down. I think it's an interesting conversation and, and maybe, you know, superficially, of course, say no. And at the end of the day, I say no. But I, I think it's an interesting conversation. It is 255. Speaking of interesting conversations, Wisconsin's Afternoon News is coming up. Stick around.